being here. I'm super, super excited to have you. Hey, thank you. Happy new year. Thank you. So I am really, really excited to kind of share all about copywriting and we'll define what that is because I know some of us don't totally understand this, but I really want to really educate folks listening on what is copywriting and why is this critically important for our business. So before we really dive into that, maybe we can have you introduce yourself and just share where you live and a little bit about your background and your family and what your career is all about today. Sure. I am in New Jersey, about 30 minutes from the beach. Don't really ever get to see it, but that's where I am. <laughs> I'm married. I have four kids. Two of my children are older and two of them are younger. The oldest is 18 and the youngest is she'll be a year old at the end of January. So yeah, I've got four kids that I that I wrangle around. That explains why you can't ever get to the beach, by the way, right there. If anyone was wondering, I think we just answered the question. It's more work <laughs> to get there than it is to like stay home. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, my business is around copywriting and trying to get things done for other people. Yeah. So I know a lot of my friends are are lawyers actually, or I know a lot of lawyers and I'm sure many of us do. And so I guess when I first heard copywriting, I was thinking about it in the legal sense. And then it started to sound more like people were talking about it in a different way. So perhaps we can start off by explaining what exactly is copywriting in this conversation. Our copywriting is copywriting with a W. We're writing like W-R-I-T-E. And that's written language. Whereas copywriting legal sense is copywriting with an R. Like you want to be right. That's how I remember it. Right and writing. (laughs) Got it. So we're talking about writing for our business. So the the way our messaging is received by our Mm -hmm. uh, audience members or potential clients. Nothing legal about this at all. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So everyone can breathe. We're not going to you know, bother you and trouble you with legal jargon for folks listening. We are going to speak about how the language we use is important for consumption of your audience, essentially, Mm -hmm. Um, in my simple, simplest terms that I can think of. So, so you run a business where you actually copyright on behalf of online business owners. Yes. So how did that all come about? How does one get into this? So um, when I started my um, entrepreneur journey, I started as a general virtual assistant, um, doing a lot of social media work. And with that comes, hey, can you write the content for this? And I found that I really, really enjoyed the writing more so than any other aspect of what I was doing. And then I saw a webinar and it was about how to make money writing and I was like, oh, that's me. That's where I should go. I've always loved writing. So I took a couple courses and switched fields. You know, it's interesting you said you took a couple courses too, because it seems like some people, the writing comes naturally to them and other people, they have to work harder at it or they do need some assistance. Do you think that there are ways to improve your writing or do you think it is just kind of a natural talent? And if you struggle, then you might as well just hire somebody. No, no, there's definitely ways to improve it. Even people that are naturally talented. The best way that I could give advice for that is if you look through things that make you want to read them, uh, whether it's a blog or it's somebody's emails come through and then keep a file or a Google Doc or Google Home Swipe files of what you enjoy, whether it's the headline that gets you in or it's you know just like the way that the messaging was, whatever it is, just keep all of that and research it and figure out why you're compelled to like that. And then you can start to write more towards 
what makes you enjoy reading yourself. I love that. Why do you think copywriting is so critically important for folks that are launching or already have an existing online business? So there are so many people on the internet. We are constantly bombarded with ads and different ways for people, for us to have our problems solved. Everybody's got their specific thing that they do, right? I I couldn't tell you how many life coaches I've met and I have like 15 in my back pocket that I have uh, in my network and they all do something different. They all have a specialty. So because we're so enamored by different aspects and different ways to kind of fulfill our needs, it's important to be able to catch somebody within a few seconds and have them feel like they're connected to you in some way, shape or form. So they continue to work through your sales page or read your emails or whatever. So it's, it's more of, you know, forming a a relationship with people. Yes. I love that. And I think that's so true in the sense of people are so inundated and have so many choices when they're surfing the web. And if you don't get them immediately and draw them in and quickly continue the conversation and keep them on your pages, it's a missed opportunity. And sometimes you only have the one chance. So if somebody was prioritizing Say they're like, okay, I need to revamp my business and start focusing a little bit more on my messaging. Where do you suggest they begin that journey? Is it their website, their homepage? Where would they want to prioritize that journey? Uh, So if your website is something that people see all the time, then absolutely fix, fix up your website. But if you don't send people to your website or you're not getting much traffic on it, then don't waste the time there. You can fix that at a later, at a later date. If you're on LinkedIn, optimize your LinkedIn profile, you know, go around with your, with your bios and make sure your bio is addressing your ideal client and not you. So I'm so glad you mentioned the bio because I've recently been kind of really observing different bios or about me pages. And it's interesting because you can definitely see that people take different approaches to this. And one that I came across recently, I thought was really interesting because she gave some bullet points about herself, but then she immediately turned it back to the customer or to her target customer to start qualifying the customer, like you're in the right place if you. So her about me was not a true about me in the way that you would traditionally think. What are your thoughts on that strategy? Is that a good strategy or should you really keep it targeted on yourself? So the about me page is not about you at all. It's about your ideal client. Oh. Yeah. So if you, so for example, say somebody goes to your webpage and they're reading your about you and it says, I have 17 years of experience doing these amazing, wonderful things. Mm -hmm. And I have 900 different certifications for all of this. And I, you know, worked with so-and-so and I've done such and such, and I'm just wonderful and amazing. And you should totally hire me as opposed to how would it feel if you knew the person working for you had 17 years of experience? How would it make you feel if you knew the person working for you put in 900 certifications in order to make sure they gave you the best experience. Do you know what I mean? It's like less about I and more, it still says what you do and your accolades, but it's more focused on the benefit for the client because nobody really cares about us. To be honest, they want to know what we're going to do for them. (laughs) So So it's broadly about them, maybe qualifying them as an authority, but then instantly saying, and this is how I serve you. Yeah. Yep. Wow. The best way to do it is to take out the word I from your about me page. If you take out all the eyes and then go back and revamp it, there you go. Wow. I'm mind blown. You know, it's, it's really interesting too, that you 
brought up the the bio piece right away too because I was listening to Amy Porterfield a couple weeks back who I completely love and she shared that the about me page is one of the most highly trafficked pages if you do have a website and she was talking in the sense of don't don't have it be a missed opportunity in terms of email capture and all of that I really was quite surprised that that is such an important page and so now I'm kind of trying to go back and really understand how that is supposed to be structured. So this is very, very helpful. In terms of our messaging for email sequences, I know this is a big one. And maybe before we dive in, I'll just, for those newer folks, the email sequences, that's where you're essentially capturing your audience's email. And then you want to build this relationship usually via email, and you would have some kind of regular cadence that feels right to you. It could be weekly or, you know, bi-weekly or whatever the case may be. But in terms of the email or nurture sequences, it's also called, do you have any best practices or key tips on, you know, maybe the welcome sequence, let's say, or how to continually build that, build that relationship without scaring people off or turning them off? Yeah. So like you said, be consistent. If you're going to send them an email every week, send them an email every week on Tuesday at you know 9am, whatever it is, be consistent with your emails and whatever they signed up for, whatever reason they gave you their email, make sure you give them that. Don't just get their email and then not send them anything. <laughs> send them whatever it is that they opted in for. And then in that email, let them know, Hey, I show up in your inbox every single week on this day with more tips and tricks and blah, 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 blah. Let them know that they can reply to you. If you're going to respond to them, let them know where else they can find you. If they got your email off of a website, let them know your social handles. And then when you show up every week, make sure you're still giving them stuff. You're coming from a place of service. Like you want to help them and show them that your name is associated with value. So that way they won't even care about your subject line anymore. They'll just see your name and they'll be like, oh, I'm opening this one. Yes, absolutely. I've observed recently that there are some welcome emails that are very, I'll say like verbose, like very lengthy, packed with information. And then there kind of conversely, there was another one that I recently signed up for and received and it was so clean. And it was a couple bullets around like, this is who I am. And this is how I serve you. And we're going to continue to, we're going to continue the conversation to help you with your success. If you were to kind of, if, if we had to polarize, uh, you know, if we had to pick one of these two maybe options that are wildly different. Which one do you think is kind of the better approach? I think it depends on who your audience is. Mm -hmm. So if your audience is busy entrepreneurs who are growing their business and they have a family and they're running and they're doing all the things, give them bullet points because nobody's got 10 minutes to stand out and sit down and read an email. Mm -hmm. But you're targeting, say, retirees who have the extra time or, you know, somebody with extra time, I don't want to just put it on retirees, then sure, go ahead. If they enjoy a long read and you have a lot to say that's, you know, going to benefit them in some way, then then go ahead and put, put a lot in there. But generally speaking, it can be lengthy, but definitely bullet point what you want them to see because honestly, we skim emails most of the time and we uh-huh. go to the bold letters and or the italicized letters just to see what's important. So yeah, it, it depends on your audience, but I would, I would tend to stick with bulleting some things. You think that it's good to actually say, I'm going to show up on, in your inbox this day and time and like, let that be explicit. 
Yeah, it's it's all about being authentic and being honest and letting them know that you're someone they can depend on. Got it. Yeah, this notion of building the relationship, again, Amy Porterfield had kind of brought that to my attention. And I just thought that was so powerful and so interesting. It's such a non-salesy sales approach. And she says that, you know, that's like the long game kind of approach. And I just think that this idea of building the trust is, is just brilliant. How about the sales page? I know that's a big one. So for example, for those of you that may be newer that are listening, your sales page is essentially the way that you will drive business to say your your course. Let's say that you're going to have a course that opens in a couple weeks and you're driving traffic. You're trying to get people to your sales page. And once they're there, you want to sell them and get them excited to sign up for your course. Can you speak a little bit about how we can do that successfully without turning them off? Yeah. So the same goes as for when somebody's just checking out a website, right? We have I think it's somewhere between four and five seconds to catch somebody's attention and make them stay on your page. Otherwise we're off doing something else, clicking on a different link and we're somewhere not on your page anymore. So your headline has to be specific and it has to address the issue and let them know exactly what you're doing and who you're doing it for. And the image that goes up on the top as well should show them what their life is going to be like in the future. So if you want to create a life of somebody with more confidence and X, Y, and Z, have them have somebody just looking off into the distance or, you know, showing that she can manage all everything that she's managing because it's visual and the headline is visual and written. That's the best way to get them on your page and keep them there. (laughs) In terms of the copy on your sales page, I see a lot of sales pages are feature heavy, which is fantastic really, but people don't buy features. They buy emotions. They buy benefits, like what's in it for them. My favorite example is, say you want to buy a a coffee maker. We can all relate. Yes. We have coffee maker with features where you would say this coffee maker is um, stainless steel. It comes in three different colors. It has two power buttons for whether you want to make a pot or you want to do 10 to 12 cups and it has a 30 year warranty. Those are all features. That's a fine sales page. Or you can say mornings are hard, like really, really hard. Like stub your toe, forget to put on the right pair of shoes hard. Don't make it any harder than it has to be. Start your day on autopilot with the Coffee Max 5000 and, you know, have your warm cup of coffee ready for you or your warm cup of happy ready for you as soon as you get downstairs. Wow. I love that. It's just the benefit features. Like, yes, it comes with all this stuff. Nobody cares that it can hold X, Y, and Z things. What's this coffee maker going to do for me as opposed to the 900 other coffee makers out there? Yes, I love that. It's like making it personal and walking them through the experience and the emotion. The other thing you can do on your sales page that's really going to make a difference is after you put up your testimonials underneath that, do an FAQ section that addresses every single objection. Most people's objections are time, money, and is this going to work for me? So if you can address those objections underneath the testimonials, you're off to a better start than most people. Oh, I love that too. I love it. What are your thoughts on the pop-up? Gosh, I feel like this is very subjective too, but I'm just really curious. What what do you think is the best thing? Because I think on one hand, the pop-ups can feel 
intrusive at times, mm -hmm. but at the same time, you do want to make sure that you don't miss the opportunity. What's your, what are your thoughts on that? Personally, and I know a lot of people don't agree. <laughs> if somebody's going to your sales page, they're going there for a reason and they want to read it. And if you catch them with the headline and then all of a sudden a pop-up shoves their in their face to give them their email, they're disinterested and they could click away. They could X out of the email. They could click away from your sales page, whatever. My recommendation is after every block of information that you have, add in your call to action. So after your headline where it says who you are and what you do and who you serve and how you're going to make their lives better, put in a call to action. After the testimonials, put in a call to action. After the benefits section, put in a call to action. Every single spot that you can. The only thing clickable on your website should be what you want them to do. So on the sales page specifically, are you selling them at all of those points or what would be a, maybe an example of how, what types of calls to action? Are they all really kind of driving to sign up? Yeah. So if your sales page, you want them to sign up for your 12 week course, then every single call to action is going to be getting them to that 12 week course cart. I mean, they could say different things. They could say, yes, give me the 12 week course. They could say, I need to know more about this. They could say whatever you want it to say. They could all say something different, but you do want them to only have one decision to make mm. click and buy or don't click. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what about the, the idea of the pop-up on your regular website? Because you have different options when you're setting it up. Like one is to wait a couple seconds. One is to do, wait till they're in the middle of the page. And one is to wait until they're about to leave. What do you think is the, the best results? I think it really depends on what, what they're getting when they give you the email. So if they clicked on a link because they wanted a free PDF of some sort, then yeah, like have them put them in the email right away. I personally like it when it pops up right away, because I get to make the decision of, am I going to keep reading? Am I going to give you the email? I know I can put it in somewhere instead of like catching me when I'm in the middle of reading something that annoys me and I automatically X out of it. But that's just me as a person. <laughs> yeah, no, I can understand that. You know what I saw that was super interesting the other day? It's funny, the things that you start to pay attention to, by the way, uh, as you're kind of building out these kinds of businesses. But something I hadn't seen was that I was on somebody's page, their website. And as I was about to X out, the pop-up came up. Okay, fine. And the pop-up was not sign up for my newsletter. It was get my freebie. And I hadn't really seen that. What do you think of that strategy? That's, I mean, that sounds smart. It sounds like... Like, don't leave, check this out. I have this to offer in case somebody hadn't clicked on it yet. Yeah. And you know, that's what I did. That's exactly yeah. what I did. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, this, is, this is different. Cause typically, you know, for those of you, again, that perhaps are wondering, well, what would be the other option? You could just simply have the freebie as, you know, some could be embedded to, you know, send me the freebie like within your page. And then maybe the generic pop-up is to get on the, the general list. So I just hadn't seen that. I thought that was super, super interesting. So if somebody is looking to hire a copywriter, say they're like, this is not my skill set. I don't have time for this. And I need to bring in the big guns. And so they, they give someone like you a call that clearly knows exactly what you're doing. When you're hiring a copywriter, is it typically by project, by time? Is it a mixed bag? Like how does it really, how do we engage with you? It depends on what you're hiring for. I guess I'm technically considered a launch copywriter because I would do all the things that go into launching a course or, or whatever, but you can also have somebody that does like blogs for you. You can have somebody that will do like Facebook ad copy for you. So it really depends per project. Cause you're not going to need a new sales page every month. 
So if I was to do a sales page for somebody, I'm not going to do that every single month. You can have a welcome sequence and then you can have your nurture sequence, whereas the nurture sequence is going to be monthly. So there can be different packages based around what someone offers and there can be one-off services. Like I know somebody who does podcast scripts and then it's YouTube transcription. And that's both something that copywriters can can do. So, I mean, there's a whole list of different things that, that go through and happen. And it's really based on what you want and what you think they're able to capture your audience's voice. I love that you just mentioned the voice being authentic. Is there something that as a copywriter, you maybe study up a little bit to try and really understand your client's voice as you step in? I would take their writing samples and then just make sure that you can see benefits over features and you can hear emotion. Like you feel something when you're, when you're reading it and you're compelled to do something. That's the main thing. Just make sure you're compelled to do something after reading whatever they wrote for you. In terms of a copywriter being able to find a voice, and you can do this if, for your own audience as well, go into the groups where they where they hang out, your ideal clients. So if you have your own Facebook group and all of your ideal clients are in there, go there and listen to them. What are they saying? Are they saying like, I'm so stressed out, I can't handle this. Are they saying I'm spinning my wheels? Are they saying like my head, my head hurts, my heart breaks, whatever it is. And then use those exact words and phrases in your copy, whether it's your weekly email, and you'll see, they'll start coming to you going, how are you in my head right now? Because you're, you are, you're in their head, you're in their conversations. You're like stalking a little, I guess. just to get to know them and and understand them. Yeah. Yeah. And that speaks to another thing that I was actually thinking about this morning as I was enjoying my automated coffee. One epiphany I had is that once you become clear on who your target customer really is, getting that down first, the copywriting falls around it so much easier. Right. The best way, this is what I tell everybody. Some people, they, they have an ideal client avatar, right? And they draw up this whole person and they give them clothes and a name and a personality. Why not find a real person? Find like Mary Jane in your group. And when you sit down to write, like think of Mary Jane and say, hey, Mary Jane. Blah, 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 blah. And then when you're done, you can go back and switch out the name and switch out like certain things. But I find it so much easier to find that one person that we're talking to and, and always write to them. You know, see, now you're in my head because <laughs> so this notion of the ideal customer avatar was something that I was really trying to come up with through all these different courses. And it wasn't until I was in a Facebook group and I interacted with somebody, but I realized I could help her address this problem. And I'm just going to work with just her in my head. I'm going to literally send this new podcast and this new checklist to her, and I'm going to send it and see what she thinks. Oh my goodness. It was so much just made everything so much more real. Yeah. And it really changed my business. So I have to say, I love that you just brought that up because it was something I kind of accidentally started doing just a couple of weeks back. And it really made a huge difference rather than just making up the random avatar and just hoping for the best. Right. (laughs) And spending who knows how much time trying to figure out this avatar person, like just do some market research, talk to real people and then be you. That's all you have to do. Yeah. And you have copywriting down. <laughs> yeah. And it makes it more real too. It's almost like being in school. It's the difference between, you know, learning it and going through it in class versus having a job and really applying the real skills. Right. 
I, I definitely do recommend that. And I, I'm continuing to do that. I think it really does change your business because with this online space, I mean, you have to have real results for people. It can't just be light and fluffy. It has to be something that's like real. You really have to help people get real results. Right. And that can be really tricky. What about as we think about naming, let's say either a podcast episode or a blog post, do you have any tips in terms of really having like a good title for something? So that really comes into play with a lot of um, SEO, so search engine optimization <laughs> for those in the back. My best tips for finding SEO, aside from Pinterest, because Pinterest is another animal and I don't know anything about it. It's its own little operation there. If you go onto Twitter or you go onto Google and you just search trending hashtags for Wednesday, whatever the day is, and whatever it comes up in the top or whatever your Google SEO search comes up with for your broad topic, use some of those words within your title and your subtitle. And and it should relate to what you're talking about. So, you know, I I never thought about going to Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) I completely missed that. I mean, just using it as a research tool, would a copywriter assist you with your keyword search? It depends on where the copy is going. So if we're writing a website page, yeah, I'm going to do some keyword search because I want yours to come up a little bit higher. If I'm doing an Etsy description, then of course I'm going to do a little keyword search to to throw in there. But if I'm writing an email, there's no keyword search happening on that one. Mm, Okay. That's good to know. I was actually speaking to a Pinterest strategist, which is going to be another episode that we, that we are going to publish because like you said, it's its own little world and I'm just getting educated (laughs) on it myself. And I mean, wow, it's, it's really interesting also. And she recommended in terms of keyword searches that you create like a database. So once you've kind of figured out your keywords that you track it in an Excel sheet, is that something that you think could apply kind of more broadly beyond Pinterest? Yeah. Yeah. You can use that wherever. Um, even the same thing goes with like hashtags. If you're posting on social media and Instagram or wherever, you can you can track your hashtags and see what's trending and what did well, what time of year and all that kind of stuff. Oh, time of year. I didn't think of that so much. You know what I learned about the hashtags that I, I do want to share with people because, you know, it seems kind of straightforward, but then there's actually some strategy there that I, I'm just really getting into. And so like on Instagram, for example, you can have a maximum of 30 hashtags. I didn't even know that. And one of the coaches was recommending that you actually do like split your hashtags and say 10 of them should have 5 million or, or more, like really well-known hashtags and then you should do medium kind of size audiences and then smaller size audiences you have like a mixed bag and that if say for example I use a hashtag that is not super common say it only has like a thousand users or posts and you are more likely to have that visibility right versus the 10 million you know there's all this strategy with the hashtags that, you know, I do think makes a really big difference. Yeah, it does. I, I personally don't use hashtags that have over 30,000 uses, whatever that is, because my audience is smaller and I don't need to get lost in the sauce. <laughs> you know, so yeah, I, I just want to ask one more thing about that then. Once you found the ones that you think you're getting responses to, do you tend to stick with the same ones or do you recycle, say, do you maybe rotate, let's say, like, do you have a rotation? Like, what do you think is a good approach there? Yeah, I have about, I do, I do between 20 and 30 a a day. And when I say a day, I mean, like, I literally have it in the notes section on my phone where I have like these ones sectioned out for Monday, these ones sectioned out for Tuesday. And then, um, 
I'll put my posts in however many times I'm posting. And then where those posts stop the next week, we'll catch up on the other ones. So I might actually have a Monday motivation on a Thursday, <laughs> just because I rotate them that way. It's just easier for my brain. Wow. So you have a collection of, would it be like five or maybe seven days? And you have like 30 for day one, 30 mm-hmm. for day two. And they're all, wow, this is what I'm saying, Joanna. I'm like, this is a whole other part of the game that I just, people need to know this. This is part of the strategy of getting, you know, because it is so, um, it is, you are really competing for attention essentially mm-hmm. and to get on people's radar. You have to be able, because it's so really competitive and saturated. It's not that it's impossible. Cause I definitely think that the art of the possible is endless in this space. Just having these kinds of strategies to get the visibility is really important. I'll give you another hashtag tip and not, it has nothing to do with copywriting, but it's just, mm-hmm. when I figured it out, I was mind blown. Say, I want to follow you. Like you're my ideal client. And I want to know like what you're doing, where do I find your people? What If I go into your profile on Instagram and I go on to click on who you follow, mm-hmm. the very first thing that pops up are all the hashtags that you follow. And then I can hashtag those in my posts. What? <laughs> right? right back. I have to go do this right now and check this out. Wow. Crazy, wow. right? Wow. Yeah. Wow. Man, you're full of tricks and tips. Okay, I'm going to ask you one more thing. And then I do want to ask you a little bit about how you're such a superwoman and get a little bit more into some of your just life hacks in terms of balancing business and, and your kiddos. So before we dive into that, I wanted to ask one more thing around ads and ad strategy. Do you have anything that we should be aware of or any tips for writing good copy for ads? Like... Should it be a question? Should it be really simple language? Is there anything specifically that we should be aware of in terms of the language we're using? Are we talking Facebook ads? Let's say Facebook ads, yes. Okay, wow, yeah. So you have basically those two, three lines to get people's attention. So it has to um, it has to be a good, good hook. Um, you can Google like a, a definition of a copywriting hook hook, and it'll tell you different, you'll get different examples, but numbers do very well. Percentages do very well. And using the exact words your client is using do very, very well. And then you just have to test it, honestly, test it between short form ads and long form ads, throw up different pictures, things like that. I, I have a friend who's a ad specialist and she asks her clients to spend a minimum of $500 a month on their Facebook ads. She says it's very difficult to work with that, but that's like the minimum that she likes to spend in order to get the highest results for what she's doing. And then there's like this whole thing where you have to make sure you're not talking about politics. You're not saying any trigger words because they won't approve what you have going on. And I've actually seen a lot of people lately just having like one sentence at the top and a video. Videos are so, so, so important because it lets people hear you and see you and feel like they're talking to you, especially since we've all been home for so long. (laughs) It gives them like a little bit more of a connection. And that connection is what you want to grow that trust factor. So yeah, if you just have that one quick sentence that says, you know, whatever you needed to say to get people to, to draw in, you know, it could be anything say like my top seven reasons for quitting your job or, you know, whatever the, and two, like if it's the holidays or if it's, you know, now we're in January, everybody's doing goal setting, everybody's releasing all the negativity, you know, 
geared around don't say goal setting because or 2021 because they won't you know let that come up but geared around something that has to do with the time of year that you're putting it out funny you mentioned the video thing too by the way because I was in Jill and Josh Stanton's course and they recommended using video if you can in your ads. And I wanted to know your thoughts on that. So you do think it's a good way to stop the scroll and quickly engage and build a relationship and all of it. Going back to the sales pages, if you can get somebody to do a video testimonial for you that talks about um, what they implemented that you taught them and what benefit it gave them, you can put that right up on the top right next to your headline. And that's like... Gold. Really? So the testimonials and the video testimonials, that's Mm -hmm. key. Okay. That is really good to know. I'm taking notes. I've got a lot to take away here. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So you are a mom of four. I am. And you have a business. How do you do this? Do you time block? And you have, I mean, you've got a young, you know, it's not like all your kids are older. You've got a mixed bag here. How, how does this work for you? How do you make it work? What tips do you have for us stay at home working moms? (sighs) Just breathe. (laughs) Do a lot of deep breathing. (laughs) Honestly, like it's kind of been a blur because my daughter is so young that I, I was just kind of pocketing time when I could get it. Now she seems to be taking like two and three hour naps in the middle of the day, which is fantastic, but I'm not counting on that lasting forever because you know, things happen mm-hmm. and children rock your life. The very best thing that I did for myself was make a list of everything that needed to get done for that week in order to make me help me reach my goal for the week, which leads to the month, which leads to the quarter, which leads to the year. So from the week, I wrote down everything that needed to get done. And then I prioritized what are the top five things to need that absolutely need to get done in order to make me hit my goal. And those five things got put on my list for Monday. And if they did not get done Monday, whatever was left got put on the list for Tuesday and say there was, I got one done on Monday, then I would pick another thing and put it on the bottom of Tuesday's list. And it gave me an action plan for the day. So when I did have time, I could say this, I'm going to get done right now. I already know what I'm doing. I don't have to sit down and organize it and figure it out and see where I'm going with what. And if an emergency popped up, it's okay, because I know there's, this is what I'm doing. Seeing myself cross those off the list and move down and then, you know, refocus towards the end of the week and see what got done and what didn't get done. And working on weekends <laughs> if I had to. I know. It's just Stuff the way it goes. It's a thing sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Just take yeah. the time where you can take it. And what tool do you use? Is, or do you just use a checklist on your own? Is there a specific project management tool you like or just keep it really simple? No, I pen to paper. I'm a pen to paper girl. I have to see things. I have to write them. For me, the more I write it, the more I I believe it and I feel it. So if it's my goals, if it's what needs to get done, I I rewrite it physically every day. You know, and I do love this idea of keeping yourself focused by having just the top, you know, three to five items, because in this industry, especially as you're either, you know, launching your business, you're launching a product, you're launching your brand, there is I mean, there is a lot going on. I mean, it is endless. It it actually is surprising to me how much you can get roped into doing, whether it's the tech or the social media or the, you know, responding to emails and comment. I mean, branding, logos, fonts, sales page, the list goes on and on, right? And I love the idea of keeping yourself on track and you can, you have to recognize especially if you're like a solopreneur, there's only so much you can get done in a single day. But the idea is you take the ball forward as much as you can every day. And then, 
you know, and maybe that's only for 20 minutes because your child is napping and then they woke up or, you know, something like that. But then in the next day you pick the ball back up and you drive it forward and it's just constantly pushing it forward and getting into that discipline. And I think your strategy where you say, okay, look, my must haves of all the crazy to do are going to be these five things. And I'm going to get through as much as I can, but you're not wasting time saying, oh, I'm so overwhelmed. Okay. I finally have time. And now, you know, like there's no time wasted. It's efficient right. and it's discipline. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Also schedule, schedule out what I call CEO days. I have two a month where I don't do any client work. I don't do anything else. I do all working on my business. So I get my books in order. I set up my social media for the rest of the week, like for the rest of the two weeks. Um, and I go through my network and I reach out to people that I want to collaborate with or talk to. It's just very my business day. Not, I'm not taking calls from anybody. Like it's on my calendar, like blocked out. That's my time to get myself resituated. Oh, I love that CEO days. Gosh, that's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> that's brilliant. Did you come up with that or did you learn that somewhere? Absolutely not. I learned that somewhere. And I was like, what? She's like, yeah, you're a CEO. You should take some time for your business. I'm like, oh, that's right. <laughs> it's true because you can't, you can't think strategically if you're always in the doing. Right. Yep. Yeah. Things coaches do for you, right? Wow. <laughs> That is incredible. So how can people work with you? How can they find you? And yeah, what if we want to work with you? How do we do that? I have a website. It's johannacatherinesolutions.com. Very simple. Same as my name. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. All you have to do is reach out and say, hi, I check all those little crazy hiding dark messages all the time. So <laughs> that's how I found you. I, I was like, this woman seems like she's brilliant. I need to talk to her. I hope she can respond to me. And thank you for doing that, by the way. I was going to do. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, that is wonderful to know. So gosh, I have to tell you, I selfishly have gained an enormous amount and I hope, and I know that all of our listeners will do the same. So I want to thank you for thank you for sharing all of your knowledge. It's really been a pleasure. All right, that is it for today. Now, as you know, some of our best conversations actually happen after the show. So I want you to find me on Instagram at Kimberly Lovey and let me know your thoughts about today's show. You can screenshot this episode and let us know what your biggest takeaway was and tag me at Kimberly Lovey and we can share it on our stories. I will see you again, same time, same place next week.